Greetings, it is I, Sean Boy, from the Sean Boy Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Helen from the great state of Kentucky, uh, where two Louisville sisters in 1893 started singing together, and they were like, happy birthday to you. Yeah, they did that. Um, so that comes from our state. That's pretty cool. Um, on today's episode on my personal take which takes up most of the episode I talk a lot this is something I've been wanting to go over for a year and a half now that's how long I've been following but what I'm going to talk about is the ideal of pre-flood lost civilization and there's four people in particular I'm going to talk about that uh, I consider them the, the four pillars of well, a history that has not been written yet and not fully realized, but probably important to know for, you know, the overall goodness of the world and why it matters. I believe we're a country with amnesia about our own history because it's been wiped away for the most part. Uh, but I'll get into that in a minute. And, uh, of course, we're going to have some music. Haven't really decided what I'm going to put up there yet. Try to go see a band somewhere and put them on there. Keep putting my crap on there. and I want to put other bands on there that I know need the exposure. Plus, it'll help grow the podcast. That's good. But... Real quick, before we get into my personal take, um, I figured since I talk about philosophy so much and all that, why not? I'll do some Zen jokes. Sure, they're dumb and probably not very good, but hey, I'm going to do it anyway. So without further ado, here's some Zen jokes. And here's you a nice assortment of Zen jokes. How many Zen masters does it take to change a light bulb? One to change it, one not to change it. A Zen student got his Zen master a present for his 70th birthday with a bow on it. The Zen master opened the box and seen that there was nothing in it, and then he exclaimed, Ah! Just what I wanted. A Zen student asked his Zen master, Is it okay if I use email? The Zen master said, Yes, but no attachments. Four monks were meditating in a temple when all of a sudden the prayer flag on the roof started flapping. The youngest monk come out and his meditation said, flag is flapping. The second, more experienced monk said, wind is flapping. The third monk, who had been there for more than 12 years, said, mind is flapping. And the eldest monk said, mouths are flapping. A Zen master was visiting London. 
He went up to a hot dog vendor and said, make me one with everything. The vendor mixed up all the hot dog with fried onions, mustard, pickles, and handed it to the Zen master who paid a 20 note. The vendor put the note in his register and snapped it shut. Excuse me, but where's my change? Asked the Zen master. Oh, brother, said the vendor. Change comes from within. Two old friends met for dinner. How's that husband of yours? Is he still unemployed? No, no, not anymore. Oh, well, some good news at least. What does he do now? Now he meditates. Meditates, what's that? I'm not sure, but it's better than sitting around doing nothing. Thank you for your continued listening here. On this episode of My Personal Take, I've been wanting to do this forever, and I'm doing it on pre-flood lost civilizations. And I'm going to present some evidence by some people that I've listened to over (laughs) the course of at least a year and a half. (laughs) And, uh, those people are as follows. And, uh, one guy by uh, John Anthony West, uh, he recently passed away and, uh, he had a show that he did on history channel before it got taken over by crazy people. Uh, it was called magical Egypt and it was, uh, narrated by Charlton Heston and, I consider that series there in itself just a ungodly wealth of knowledge about ancient Egypt, the old kingdom, and the new kingdom. And along with John Anthony West, there's another guy named by the name of Robert Schock. He's a geologist, and uh, <laughs> he had to wait to get tenure to actually come out and help John Anthony West because all the skeptics and shit. And all the anthropology and the mainstream skeptics uh, against these four guys. They call them the four horsemen or whatever. And um, four people and specifically I'm talking about is, of course, John Anthony West and Robert Schock. They're kind of, they were kind of a team doing their thing about the Sphinx and the pyramid being probably older than people think. Uh, and then there's also a Graham Hancock and a Randall Carlson. Graham Hancock is a uh, journalist, but he's really, really deeply into like the lost civilization. He's, I kind of consider him a good, good source and thinker of how to think about what it was like. Well, I'll get into it then. And along with him, there's Randall Carlson, which they've worked together, and so has John Anthony West, where everybody's worked with Graham Hancock, and I consider him probably the foremost authority on all this. But just to get started off here, I'm going to kind of go over, um, and Randall Carlson, he's a, uh, (laughs) he's like, 
the world's biggest rebel, uh, I don't know what you'd call him, but he's the one that has all the slides and presentations, which I'll be putting videos up on my fanboy, Sean boy fan podcast page or whatever it is. Uh, I'll be putting up all these videos and, uh, there'll probably be about four videos that I put up on there. If you're further interested in this after the talk here. But just to get into it, first I'm going to tell you about the many skeptics and what they say and try to discredit these guys. And, you know, these guys have given up a lot of time and effort just to prove to us that, you know, we're living in a world with amnesia. Like, before the Great Flood, the, the the flood of Noah and all that, whatever that catastrophe was, there may have been humans, not thousands of years before that, but tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years before that. You know, and one thing you got to think about is the Earth is about 5.5 billion years old. It really is. And for all that time to go by, I mean, if there was ancient civilizations, there is not going to be evidence from so far back. And if there is evidence, it's something like the Sphinx, and it's sitting right there, and I'll get into that in a minute. But the skeptics will always point out, like, Oh, they're just seeing into patterns and anomalies. This is one thing that happened there, so they think this or whatever. No. Once you look at the evidence and the geological evidence there is, and once you see it plain as day, there's no question. And and also, they're starting to win the fight now. Like These guys have been battling out with archaeologists, uh, ayahuasca, not ayahuasca, <laughs> but uh, well, the the Egypt guy in Egypt, I can't remember, Zarawaski or something, his name was, but he's like the head Egyptologist over there. And I think ever since John Anthony West died, there ain't been no better Egyptologist, although he wasn't an Egyptologist because he didn't get the credentials and went to school and all that, but. I consider him probably more knowledgeable than anybody over there. So uh, that's how much statement I'm saying about him. But just to get into it, some of John Anthony West and Robert Shock there getting started here. There's an old kingdom in Egypt and there's a new kingdom in Egypt. The old kingdom of Egypt is recorded on the walls and the dates and the names of the rulers and whenever you look at all these, which regular skeptic people do not even look at the wall, not only do they not only record it or look at it or they're just like, that's whatever. And, you know, here he comes along and he's like, well, if you add up all the dates and you add up all the kings, well, that puts the very first ruler of Egypt back 36,000 years. That's 36,000 BC. So there's that little thing. And it's on the wall. <laughs> now, the Sphinx and the Pyramid Origins, um, 
John Anthony West wrote a book way back in 1979 called Serpents in the Sky. And another good book that you could look into is by a guy named P.D. Opinski, probably a, he was probably a student of what they call Gurdjieff. And there's different doctrines, like these are people that get into like another way of being a human besides just your everyday running around using your brain and your ego to do things. There was a different way to do things where you could like go inside your mind and figure out who you really are, and, you know, not do dumb shit, but, uh, that's certainly, and I'll get into that in a minute too. And then, you know, you got Graham and Randall there and, uh, Graham Hancock wrote Fingerprints of the Gods. Again, he's a journalist. And Randall Carlson has probably the best slideshows I've ever seen in my life. This guy is a guru of transferring knowledge. Also, he's a Freemason. And he is a, a renegade scholar. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, now... Getting into the Sphinx and the Pyramid, if you look at the Sphinx, if you look at the face of the Sphinx, you're going to see that it's considerably smaller than the rest of the, the structure. And the reason it's smaller is because it's been recarved. Why did they recarve it? They think that it probably used to look like a lion's head. So the Sphinx used to be a whole lion. And then... One pharaoh come along one day and like, I want my face on that. Now, the face of the Sphinx is very much looks like a sub-Saharan face, sub-Sahara face. Not like Nubian, not like black, black Nubian people, but more like a basketball player's face in the NBA. Uh... And he he did, and John Anthony West got a senior NYPD forensic analyst that was the top of his field that knew what he was doing. And he definitely said that this thing definitely was sub-Saharan sub -Saharan face, which means that <laughs> one of the pharaohs that had this done was probably from the Sub-Sahara, and he probably was black, and it's way earlier in Egypt than people are thinking. And uh, it said the head's too small for the body and may have been a lion in earlier days. Um, it was recarved. Under the left paw of the Sphinx is a chamber uh, with the help of a uh, Seismographs, also uh, Edgar Casey called the Sleeping Prophet from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, talked about this in one of his readings. But under the left paw of the Sphinx is a little chamber that they did seismographs, and just like Edgar Casey said, it's there. So there's that little thing. And what did Edgar Casey say was in there? The Akashic Records. So, yeah, there's that. You know, and John Anthony West had Robert Shock with him. And 
off the record and before they started filming, you know, and all that and checking it out, shop kind of just entered the Sphinx enclosure, which is part of the evidence. He made off offhand remarks to West off the record. This looks thousands of years old. The geologist said, and, uh, later on, he looked at it, did a more detailed analysis and he concluded that this was not sand or wind erosion. This is massive water erosion. Um, now, 11,500 is the last time the Finks looked at the age of Leo. And before that was 36,000 BC. So, when you take the Sphinx and you line it up with the constellation of Leo, the first time that happens is 11,500 BC. If you go back and when the Sphinx faces the sun and the constellation Leo is about 36,000 BC, you know, and I believe this is right a roughly around the time of the Noah and the flood time period, somewhere around somewhere between 13 to 10,000 BC is when I think this is going on. Now, after the flood, what's really interesting is between 3,000 and 4,000 BC, there is a resurgence in human reemergence, a steady climb up. You know, so they did all this research. They concluded that the Sphinx and the pyramids and some of the pyramids and some of the structures around the pyramids you go to the basement foundations of these places and it looks like there's new construction on old construction underneath some of the foundations and the foundations. So the pyramid, the Great Pyramid in, in particular, if you look at the bottom layer, the, the construction and the effort that went into building that is way different than the stuff that's on top. So, who knows? The Great Pyramid and all of it may have been earlier civilizations from way earlier. And, you know, over time, they've tore stuff down, built stuff back up. Things have invaded, killed people, took over, whatever, you know. But there is evidence that the the foundations are older in, in Egypt than uh, the newer stuff on top. That's why they call it the Old Kingdom, New Kingdom. Um, some of the stones at the bottom of the Khafre Pyramid show two different constructions, like one was built maybe older construction, like I was saying there. Now, so, in 1991, John and John Anthony West and Robert Schock presented their work to the annual meeting of Geological Societies of America and were ridiculed and not taken serious. Since then, they have been proven to be right, and there's this thing called Clovis First, and this is where uh, human, this is where humanity should have started from. This is wherever the mainstream thinks hum, humanity started from. And they 
uh, probably around 12, 11,000 BC is, is the earliest they're saying that humans should have come on the planet. I personally don't believe that. And I think humans were here on the earth before the flood. And it was such a catastrophe, which I'm going to get into, that it was a planet killer, man. I mean, this was a big, huge fucking event. And, like, it wasn't just one catastrophe. There was many different catastrophes. Like, um... And one thing you gotta think about that I'm kind of getting at with why this is important is... And, well, some of the other catastrophes that's happened. In Greenland, there's a crater that is 18 miles wide under the ice of Greenland. And uh, also found in the same location is evidence of nanodiamonds, carbon ferrules, platinum, and iron. Those only form from high impact and... Uh, extremely heating up of temperatures to a point where it's making glass and shit, you know. Now, also, the, you have this place called, um, I'm not sure what it's called, but like it's in, I think it's up there like Washington and all that area. And it's Scablands and Washington Channel. Giant stones left by ice sheets can... You can see the effects that, that the ice sheets left these rocks there. The Younger Dryas hypothesis is responsible for four different types of woolly mammoths becoming extinct. This wiped our memory clean. Multi-fragments hit the ice sheet. And this is getting into Graham Hancock stuff here. And I've... I think John Anthony West uh, may, he may have kind of bought into that a little bit too. And, you know, for them to say that this happened here, whatever, and this is when humans started, given their date, the mainstream. Well, here's something that they just can't freaking ignore, period. In 11,600 B.C., there's a, uh, th th this is what this site dates to. There's a site that's called Gobekli Tepe. It is 7,000 years older than Stonehenge. Now, Gobekli Tepe is a very interesting place. They're these monolith thing. They're these monolith stones. And I mean 40,000 times and there's relief carvings of animals on them. And I'm not talking no primitive shit from 11,600 BC. I'm talking when you look at it, you can look at it and go, oh, they're portraying a lion. Oh, that thing looks like it's a human and it's hugging around the side of it. They actually carved a human being's hands touching on the inside of the pillar while the human being is on the outside of the pillar. So... These weren't no stupid-ass people that were doing this shit. So, the ideal that human beings started in around 12 or 11,000 B.C. doesn't wash with me. 
like there's evidence at Bebeque Tepe that they were well more advanced at that time than even some of the the later times that came after. It's like what it, what it appears to me is that a catastrophe happened. Some people showed up to primitive lands where primitive people were, never been there before, and they set up shop and influenced the way it came about, kind of like in Egypt. And uh, you got to start looking at the geological evidence that Randall Carlson presents and about 13,400 global warming happened. Man-made or not man-made, it happened. There's something called the Collardon Ice Sheet and the Laurentide Ice Sheet. And both of these ice sheets covered all the way probably down to here in Kentucky, two-mile thick ice sheet. And it all the way well past Canada up in the thing. So you have these two huge ice sheets. Somewhere around probably 11,000, 12,000 B.C., near the end of the last ice age, there is evidence of a massive surge of water and erosion around these scab land places that Randall Carlson take, uh, talks about that shows evidence of not only rushing water and all that, but like a receding of the uh, polar ice caps and the Little Ice Age. And you can see evidence of this scarred into the landscape. But not only can you see like the scarring of the, the ice sheets or whatever, but what do you think happens if there is a huge comet or asteroid or whatever, and let's say it breaks up in fragments, and then it hits this fucking ice sheet? What happens to the ice sheet? How much of it turns to water? How much of it floods right out of there and just floods the whole entire earth? Well, when you look at the mass of Canada and part of America, the sea level rise, they, they call this like the continental shelf. If, around every landmass, there's a continental shelf. If you go back in time, the Little Ice Age was really recorded and, and that this really happened. So there was this little small... Not small, but huge ice sheet, two to three miles thick over Canada and America. If a comet hits this thing, what happens to all the water that's trapped under the ice sheet? What slowly happens when the temperature starts rising? And there, the date 13,400, global warming started happening. So it's already melting anyway, and then a comet comes in, and then within a week, and there's evidence everywhere backing this claim up, within a week of this event happening, the sea level rose 400 to 450 feet 
within a week. Just think about that for a minute. What happens when the sea level rises three or four to 450 feet? I tell you what happens. Mass human migration. That's what happens. People get the fuck out of town and go somewhere else. Now, when we go back to Egypt and look at how that happened, the Great Pyramid is older than the Step Pyramid. The Step Pyramid's construction is rudimentary at best. The Great Pyramid is a work of art. So, and part of Graham Hancock's take on this is maybe there was an earlier civilization. Maybe there was a civilization that had to move and they moved in next to people and maybe gave them the knowledge of their world and then transferred it over into Egypt and all these other places. Gebekli Tepe. It could be... I personally think Gebekli Tepe could be the people that survived the Ark and Noah's Flood. <laughs> but, like, I don't have any evidence for it. It's just a stupid thought I have. But anyway. Uh, so, you have the Greenland crater that's 18 miles wide. Then you have the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs. So we know that's possible. And if you don't think asteroids can hit us all the time, look up at the moon and see how many crater fucking marks are in that. And then think about how many times that has happened to the Earth. But guess what? You can't see it because the Earth is alive, has atmosphere. Shit burns up in the atmosphere most of it don't make it to us. But man, when a big one comes, it'll fucking make it to the bottom. It'll make it to the bottom of the surface of our land mass here. No problem. Now. Now, something I talked about a little bit earlier is megafauna. Like the woolly mammoths. There was sloths the size of giraffes back in this time period. And Graham Hank... Or... Randall Carlson goes into that in detail in some of his videos. The ideal that mammoths were all extinct or are all hunted to extinction by humans, in my opinion, is bullshit. And the Clovis people were wiped out in the same time as the megafauna was. The Clovis people were these people, supposedly the first humans in that 13,000 BC era. And uh, they were wiped out with all the megafauna. All evidence points to a more uh, saturated time period. The more you go back to the cladicism at the end of the Ice Age. So like, all this evidence points to a great cladicism. And not everybody agrees on what the cladicism was. Like, Robert Schock thinks there was probably a solar mass ejection that happened from the sun around that time period. And there's good evidence uh, for it because let's say you have a solar mass ejection, uh, a wreck from the sun. You have it uh, eject from the sun there and then it hits the earth. What does the clouds do with all that particle energy, high-velocity energy, takes eight minutes to reach Earth from the sun, 
Um, what happens to all that? Well, it ionizes the atmosphere and causes huge electrical storms. Imagine electricity firing every two or three inches away from each other in every direction, wherever that fucking thing landed on the planet. And there's, there's evidence of this due to, uh, the way that the the sand and the dirt and whatever it hit formed only forms from really high intense um thunderstorms or thunder or lightning like that like like the if a piece of lightning hits uh some sand on the ground <laughs> that just became glass so the way that process works and happens shows evidence that it was lightning and this evidence can be found in all kinds of places, which I can't remember. But uh, Robert Schock has that kind of theory going on. So you're not talking about one catastrophe. You're talking about many different catastrophes happening in a certain time period. But now, the thing, the reason I brung this up, the reason I brought up the lost civilization is... Quite frankly, people have it in their head that the time period we're in right now is the most technologically, which it is. We are very technologically advanced, but we're just making shit. You know what I mean? Like these people back then, before the flood, John Anthony West refers to them as the Na'aru. And that is the name that they gave for the enlightened ones. But more specifically than that, not just the enlightened ones, but the mind. And there was no writing back in this time period. Writing did not come about until they come up with something called cuneiform, the ancient Sumerians. So there's something called uh, the Bhava Gita, the Vast, that's the Iranian version of the Bhava Gita. Um, and what I'm getting at here is you don't have to have written down language to have a society. What if a decision was made, just like Graham said, what if a decision was made to not have writing? or it didn't even come about or wasn't even thought of yet, but you had cultures that lived off of language and they just talked among themselves, carried stuff down from generation to generation with no pen and paper. And the ancient texts and stuff, they all described that these people were great gods and great people because they knew how to use their mind in a way where they didn't have to use their ego you know nowadays I look around and everything's all fucking ego driven I mean it, it you you know this in your own life it's like you know how crazy the world is like in order to make it in the world you have to have a job, money. You're going to have to have a car. 
What if you didn't want to live your life that way? What if there was a better way to live? Let's let's even throw out money. Let's say you hate money and you want it. you didn't want to live with money. You totally could. I mean, it's not wise because, you know, the norm is everybody's got to have a job and have the white picket fence and, you know, marry the trophy wife or whatever you do. But, you know, there was a different way to fucking live. Like, the the thought of people sitting there and going, this is the way I'm going to live. This is the greatest thing I can do. I'm doing great. I know rich and poor people that have a shitty life with or without money. And I bet it's about even on both sides. So to me, to me, like our way of life and the way we're doing it may not be the ultimate of what the humans are supposed to be doing on this planet. I like what John Anthony West said one time in one of his little videos I watched. He called them the five cowboys of the apocalypse. And they're as follows. Capitalism, patriotism, democracy, technology, and entertainment. Those five things are the five cowboys of the apocalypse. And it is next to impossible to escape these five cowboys. Now, again, I recommend this book a good start to this stuff if you're into that kind of thing and you're into like looking at your if you're into looking at your brain in a real different kind of way and really getting into it I highly recommend this book called In Search of the Miraculous by P.D. Opinski he died in 1949 and uh I've read it through twice and uh Every time I read it, I think I learned something new. And <laughs> you definitely have to read it more than once. <laughs> uh, now, he also said, you know, uh, some of the other things that John Anthony West said that I like is, uh, you know, you have Horace and Seti and uh, all these great gods of Egypt, right? Set is probably a precursor to the word Satan, which is ridiculous. I mean, they probably derive Satan from Set. And Set is way before, this is probably early parts of Egypt. Now, Set is not necessarily a person, but a principle of cosmic principles. He's the mindset that is and not your ego. So it's the way your mind, through inner work, you can free the spirit from matter. That's the biggest thing with set. So like you have set, not necessarily an evil thing, but a way, a program a doctrine, can't really put any words on it, but it's a way to free the inner you, the spirit, from matter. And what I mean by matter, I mean your thoughts, your physical body, everything. It's a way to separate you from that, 
to know your true spirit, which has no words, which has no English words, any kind of language. That's the kind of inner work I'm talking about. And, you know, I've always heard gurus say reality is play. And uh, I think a lot of reality for people is just the reflection they see. And I believe that. But uh, that is kind of my talk on the lost civilization before the flood. And if you really want to get into it, just look up Joe Rogan experience, Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, John Anthony West, Robert Schock. You put any one of those, J-R-E, and then any one of those names, and you're going to have a wealth of information that Joe Rogan has made available uh, to Americans and everybody across the world. Thank you, buddy. But uh, that's my conclusion on the pre-flood civilization cast here. I hope you've enjoyed it and it has been eye-opening for you. But, well, now on to some music, buddy. Welcome to Sean's Live and Local Sessions. This week I'm going to showcase seven of my original songs. No particular order, but uh, yeah, did them on a classical guitar. Most of them are tuned down to dad gad tuning, but I didn't tune the A string to or the B string to an A, but I just left it at B. For those that understand what that's all about, there. Uh, but these are songs ranging from. 10 plus years, <laughs> some of them's 10, 15 years old, but uh, they're all acoustic and I figured I'd put some acoustic songs on here. Uh, hopefully uh, the next podcast I'm wanting to start showcasing some local talent around town on the podcast and grow it a little bit. Last week I had John Snyder along with Cody Lee Meese, I think that turned out good. Hope you enjoyed it. And maybe you're cruising through your day there in your car. Just enjoy these songs. And check them out. Comment if you if you will. Again, I'll be putting all the any extra stuff on the Sean Boy podcast page there for the, my personal tag section that I just did. But uh, I'll shut up now and just let you enjoy. So without further ado. Here's me.
That's just another cycle The real end is just another interval to new way in The cycle grow around the shell-caught body The reflection you see is a memory I've kept close If only you could live Focus on the life forms of 
Well, my friend, you're firmly 
But no one else quite believes you Gotta find the weight and the burden The burden of being Too much ego you're gonna have All the way through
summer grows until it finds itself and out of season. Good mother, bleach is like a Castles fall as the system falls deeper down. And soon the walls will fuse back in with the dirt. Oh, the dirt. And we'll all be long gone before. I doubt we make it all this earth. Yeah, we die. Earth wins this time around. Oh, someday the world's gonna rid us of a moldy way. Summer fades and winter's right round all the corners. And sometimes I fantasize about bits of love.
seven songs and I hope you enjoyed them and hope you enjoyed my talk on pre-flood lost civilization there uh, again uh, those four people that you can turn to for references pretty much just type in their name anywhere and you'll find all the resources you'll ever need and again that's John Anthony West Graham Hancock Randall Carlson and Robert Shop, and uh, any one of those guys could uh, 
take you a little bit further into that. And that's not, this is not the end of pre-flood civilization stuff. Uh, I'll be having more things related to the, related to some of the stuff I talked about in there. Like I wanted to give a general overview, kind of like I did in the Bob Lazar episode and a general episode uh, on the Finnegan's Wake episode. Like all those are just general openings to a subject, just like this one. Like you get into it and you can see all the evidence that I'm kind of describing and talking about and all of those if you go research them. And uh, again, I don't put anything on here that's not interesting at least or has some kind of benefit to where I think I would put it up here. Now, some of it might not relate or you might not care, but you know, like anything, you know, you can try it once and see if you like it or not. You know? so, another way to think about it. But I hope you enjoyed my Sean Boycast this week. It's been a little tuned down, I guess, but uh, that's okay. Um, hopefully, next episode, this week, I'm going to try to go out and find a band somewhere, get them recorded, do an interview, and showcase them for Sean's live and local sessions because. I want to showcase musicians in my little town here. There's like a little, there's like a little miniature music for local music around here. Like there's a a small little gathering of a local mu- musical community here in Corbin, Kentucky, and surrounding places like Somerset, uh, London, and also Barville, and all the way down to. Uh, even Clay County and things like that. And this whole area here is there's a big musical community going on. People are really, you know, being supportive of that. And I think it's helping grow some of the local businesses uh, in towns that that's happening. So if you're not really a person that goes out and listens to music or not used to going to see a live local band, you should go do that. Like, Instead of spending like $75 or $100 on going to see your favorite artist, you could go out every week and see these local guys. And what they bring to the stage and do is very interesting and neat and amazing. Like there's some good talent in those little places that I talked about just there. You know, you can go anywhere, see amazing bands. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If I keep on talking, I'll go on forever about that. But uh, thank you for your continued ear. It's been another fun and light Sean Boycast this episode. All right. Until next time.